welcome to Global, a podcast from the International Republican Institute. I am Bakhtin Yushanov, IRI's Deputy Director for Eurasia, and I'll be your guest host for this episode. In response to the coronavirus pandemic, this podcast is introducing you to democracy-first responders around the world. We're looking at how COVID-19 is threatening global democracy and meeting the people stepping up to protect their country's democratic institutions. Georgia is a country that has weathered many challenges over the years, from the internal corruption that led to the 2003 Rosa Revolution, to the Russian invasion in 2008, and through the peaceful transfer of power in 2012. In the past few months, Georgia has emerged a success story in a global fight against COVID-19, showing a path for developing democracies to resist democratic backsliding and come through the crisis stronger than before. Today, you'll hear my conversation with Dr. Akaki Zoidze. Akaki has served as Deputy Minister of Health and later chair of the Committee on Healthcare in Georgia's Parliament. He's a physician and public health expert. In other words, he has been smack dab at the intersection of government and public health issues for years. In our conversation, we talked about how the Georgian government identified coronavirus as a threat early on when so many others did not, why the country's response has been so successful, and how to make the case that democracies and not autocrats are best equipped to meet global public health challenges. Well, our conversation also features some background entertainment courtesy of Akaki's kids and a reminder that democracy-first responders are dealing with the same real-life challenges as the rest of us. Here's that conversation now. Akaki, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time during these very trying and difficult times to be with us today. What do you think made the Georgian government identify COVID as a threat when so many other countries, you know, did not know what to do or were basically, I don't want to say, but they were sitting on their hands. And what do you think, you know, sort of helped them make this decision, this, this really hard decision early on? Yeah, I think that uh, so far, again, so far is a key word here because we are now entering the phase which, unfortunately, United States and uh, many European countries are in right now. And we are basically witnessing uh, uh, these reports from the battlefield, I would call them, uh, because otherwise, you know, no other words will better describe the situation, uh, the grim situation that is in terms of, uh, you know, in several places in the United States, I will not be you know, naming uh, places and names, but everybody knows about that. And the death count that uh, increases every minute and every hour throughout globally. And I think Georgia is still in the in the phase where we have uh, uh, relative calmness, but this uh, calm may be the calm before the storm. So that's what we are trying to avoid. The storm that will devastate the, our health system and society in general. I think we had gained some time and that was the key success so far is that we had been able to gain some time, to win some time, to prepare and to flatten the curve. I mean, everybody knows what this means. I will not explain what the flatten the curve means. And I think we are in good position to do so if we continue relying on the opinions of professionals. That has been... Right. The key to what happened in in Georgia in January, when the first uh, warnings from public health specialists have been sent to the government that this is happening in China, the pandemic preparedness should be on the way, and that it is most likely to hit our country as well, because Georgia is, you know, it's a tourist destination, and Georgia's GDP, a part of the share of the GDP that comes from tourism is growing each year, and we had 9 million visitors 
which is about three times more than the country's indigenous population, uh, at least present here, that considering these tourist flows that were crossroads between Europe and Asia, uh, where this whole thing started, that we are most likely, most likely will undertake a hit. Several weeks before the same restrictions were adopted in Europe or in United States. So we didn't uh, uh, leave. So we closed borders earlier. We closed the flights, considering even before the WHO has issued the, uh, even at the time when WHO was uh, uh, advising not to uh, uh, completely shut down the airports, but basically, you know, to to withstand from non-essential travel. That was the advice. We took decisive actions. And in this case, public health professionals, that government, and the Prime Minister and the government task force the, the, the basically had been that they had attentive ear towards the public as professionals and the choice between then there was no choice between economy and the public health because our understanding was that it will be a choice between two bad decisions but uh, two bad decisions but in this case the second decision is worse because it affects both the economy and the public health I think the most important issue is that so far the success cases have been associated and there is a propaganda which I already see associated with some authoritarian, if say, put it more mildly, authoritarian regimes, that it is easier for authoritarian regimes to mobilize and to respond to pandemics than for democratic regimes. And these examples of Europe and the United States are given as an example. Okay, Georgia is a democratic country. And, you know, even in democratic country, you can mobilize on time, you just yes. need to listen to the right people. So the right person, Absolutely. that's it. And then, and even in democratic countries, not even, but in democratic countries, it is more reliable. It is that we are not hiding our figures. And we know that whatever we're reporting, that is how the situation is. And we are transparent. And uh, in this case, I think Georgia is a good example that democratic countries with democratically elected and accountable governments that didn't hide information from their own public can take decisive actions and can take in, ter- in, in times of, in times of uh, major challenges and uh, global challenges and specifically in the national uh, challenges. So this is, I think, in that sense, is a good good example uh, that I would say, and I would stress for Georgia because the other kind of China, yeah, they managed to isolate 150 million people, and it's yes, and that's it's now considered as a success, but. I mean, we are not sure whether uh, China is uh, is reporting now the accurate figures. So, and even if they doing this yeah. this crime against humanity, I would say at least against public health, uh, that they are hiding now figures just to sell it a success is it a success story. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in in conspiracy theories in general. I don't believe in that. But if they do so, and even the yeah. even even this uh, nagging uh, suspicions that we all have uh, in the West, uh, in Georgia, that China may be hiding something because they had been, uh, the their anamnesis, uh, as a as, as medical term, their history, uh, prior history shows that they had been not very forthcoming and transparent in certain cases, right? Uh, to put it mildly, even if they're doing that just to sell the story that they had been successful, unlike Western democracies, in curtailing the, then uh, 
even that might be a major problem. It seems like people came together. I mean, this is one of those challenges, one of those moments that sort of brought everyone together. So, yeah, do you think those experiences, bad experiences in the past, you know, that, again, brought Georgians together, do you think they sort of play a role in, in response to, to COVID? First of all, for the health system, because health system had both institutional memory and as well, uh, individuals that remembered, yeah. you know, 9th of April, 90s, beginning of 90s, civil war, a war with Russia on occupied territories, not 2008 war, but the 90s, yeah. the yeah. war that, you know, took a major toll for the country. And uh, then we had emergencies, re- re- recurring emergencies of certain uh, nature and the occupied territories, alertness in that sense, mm-hmm. continuing alertness in that sense. And, you uh, know, 2008 Russia war, which has been a major reminder for us in what region we are living and who is our neighbor in general. All this, of course, contributed to the alertness of the system. All this contributed to to the fact that the prime minister has listened, that the war might be coming and we need to listen to the professionals when 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 the pandemic hits us. So that was the, I think that was the, and the health system itself, and epidemiologists and others have been prepared. And even the doctors know how to act in the circumstances. And from the other hand as well, one additional advantage that just the universal healthcare program initiated four years ago had attracted three times more investment in the healthcare. That was another factor. And right now, we are more prepared because, uh, you know, than we never prepared in, in the history of Georgia because we have now per capita more ventilators, more ICU beds, and more hospital, vacant hospital beds than anybody else in Europe or the United States. Wow. So we have, for example, 2,000 ventilators for, what, 3 million and a half people. Yeah. So while yeah. the whole Italy has 20,000 ventilators, so with uh, 60 million uh, population. Yeah. So that has been because investments were made there, because investments, because we had increased the budget, health budget, for three times instead of, and yes, I mean, we had, uh, uh, as, as a chairperson of the healthcare committee, I was calling for improved efficiency, for improved efficiency, you know, look at the West, look at the NHS in UK, look at the United States systems, their occupancy rates are above 90%. Their efficiency is so great. And we have 50% occupancy rate, so it's bad. But in the time of pandemic, extra resources, that's one. So it wasn't a waste of resources. That was named in inefficiencies in the system and, and, and some more libertarian uh, you know, uh, opinions about the role of the state in, in, uh, in uh, providing universal health care and so on. So I think that has been a major plus. Another issue, I think, is uh, that we also, along that, uh, we also had a Luger Center, and have the Luger Center. And this is a major, major contribution and now my heartfelt appreciation to the United States people for that major gift that, you know, the DITRA program that has been active for years. It's not just Luger Center. It's the whole surveillance and laboratory network. The people that have been trained, the treasure is the people. Not the infrastructure, right. not the not the not the stones and equipment. Yes, these are important, but the major the major uh, uh, value is attached to to people, to train people, knowledgeable people. The same yes, national center for disease control has been on the forefront of this battle and with this. Yeah 
professional advices to the government has basically uh, allowed us to achieve what we have achieved so far. They have been also has been the recipient of a major help from American people. So the, for us, this is a major issue. Let me ask you this. Um, you've, you, you've talked about, just, just because you'd mentioned the Luger Center, um, I'd seen some uh, pieces in Russian uh, media about Luger Center and disinformation connected with it that somehow COVID, you know, that Georgia was so early on, because there's clearly there's a lot of disinformation when it comes to COVID, both from state actors, but also non-state actors, you know, Russia being one of them. Have you, are you seeing uh, disinformation campaigns, any, any sort of kind of disinformation campaigns on COVID in Georgia? And if Georgians are receptive to this kind of stuff, it seems not, but I would really appreciate your insight on that. I mean, we had been fan, fanning off the Russian propaganda attacks for years regarding Luger Center, mm-hmm. because it was considered that it's like, you know, uh, bioweapons center and that there were several falsified fake information um, constructed about how we genetically engineer the new viruses here or the, the new uh, new insects that spread these viruses and this kind of stuff. And it was getting some traction. I mean, now now we love, but it was getting some traction within the country as well. And we had this, uh, especially when, when these kind of rumors were underta- were kind of propagated by by U.S. journalist, by the way, who was like posed as a former advisor to the former prime minister of Georgia, Jvania. I will not name the name, but this was a U.S. journalist who was who was a very desirable respondent to many of the Georgian journalists and many of the Georgian press, not not very serious press, but still press and media about you know about these conspiracy theories, what the Luger Center poses a major threat to the population around, and even that has resulted in some protests uh, from from the people in the in the neighborhood of the Luger Center and uh, National Center of Disease Control. So it wasn't, and this propaganda machine was working constantly and continuously. Uh, Russian propaganda machine accusing us that we are, you know, every time for the last, I don't know, six or seven years, there have been each... Each year, there had been a new rumor, new fake information, new fake about the about the bioweapons center that U.S. is operating in in Georgia. And now, now I think uh, uh, everybody everybody knows what this Luger Center is about. There is on the far front and a major defense against the pandemic. And every single Georgian now knows that the Luger Center is only there to protect them. I mean, that has been a major, I mean, from countering the propaganda, I mean, again, some things are sometimes, yeah. the, you know, so, even the most desperate things have some good sides. So, exactly. <laughs> terrible things. So really pandemic is a terrible thing, but from that perspective, at least it had helped us to, uh, you know, basically to dismantle this this machine against Luger Center. So propaganda. And another propaganda machine, which is another fake thing, which is now yeah. is jointly jointly promoted by Russia and uh, China, again, is related to the issue that, you know, strong presidents and strong rulers uh, are better in this kind of, in this time of global yeah. challenge. You yeah. need to rely on the strong leaders, on, on, on Stalin-like personalities and this kind of stuff. And they will take, you know, 
they will take you out of the woods. Not democracy and these stupid parliaments and, you know, arguing and people who are basically hostages to their uh, multinational corporation or masons or whatever. Name it. Name any other conspiracy theory, yes. In terms of, um, you know, George is doing, um, you, you did talk about lives and livelihoods. But obviously, this is a taken kind of a social and financial and to an extent, emotional impact on all Georgians, right, on the country, uh, on a region. What do you think sort of consequences of this uh, pandemic are going to be in terms of sort of economy, but also, you know, just emotionally people being, you know, their emotional well-being? And are there any plans, if you may talk uh, about this, that the task force is discussing to sort of counter that once... Uh, Georgia comes out of quarantine. You know, for us, this is a very, very important issue and very important question for every country. And it's a matter of survival and post-pandemic period uh, is not far away. I really, I mean, as I told you, I'm optimistic and by nature, I'm an optimist. So I hope that uh, at least the, this first, the most uh, devastating wave, the whole world and now my country will be able to withstand. And uh, in, you know, in the three months time, we probably will be talking about uh, in, in one and two months' time, we'll talk about releasing some of the measures. And in three months' time, we need, uh, we'll be talking about, you know, uh, kind of uh, curtailing the and taking control of the situation completely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and resuming the, the normal way of life, eventually, step by step, because, again, uh, we need to control and monitor in parallel the epidemic situation, epidemiology, and to make sure that we did not, you know, re, we didn't uh, create favorable conditions for re-emergence and and the repeated surge of the virus because it's all mathematics and it's all epidemiology and you know it is known how these things happen. Still many unknowns about the virus, which basically is one of the reasons why uh, so far we uh, had this kind of. Uh, <laughs> Not a perfect response globally, let's call it so, uh, because of these many unknowns, because that some countries not took the threat as seriously as it deserved. And uh, um, we hope that, and, and made the choice seemingly in favor of economy rather than public health. But now what we are witnessing is that this choice ended up to be Detrimental both for economy and for public health. So a worse decision in this case. For us, uh, the important issue will be that uh, definitely we'll need uh, a major change of business as usual. Of course, there will be no more business as usual. We need to revise the budget. We'll have an emergency budget. We will be asking and relying and uh, expecting. Uh, We'll be very grateful for any external assistance because Georgia and countries like small countries with small economies like Georgia wouldn't be able to withstand this devastating economic losses that are expected, uh, even with the best case scenario. Even in the best case scenario, we have uh, negative, uh, we have at least zero growth, and with the worst case scenario, we'll have about 6 to 7% uh, a reduction in GDP. Uh, for the, this year, 2020, and maybe some growth in 2021. And even in, in the case if the second and third wave will not occur sometimes in 2021, I mean, which is, we don't know yet. I hope it will not be there. But, you know, yeah. for example, the, uh, the you know, the, the uh, uh, so, so-called swine flu pandemic was developing during three years, 2009, 2011. Right. So right. it wasn't as... Uh, 
is devastating or with the same similar effects as it was, but still it took 100,000 lives and uh, right. also had been a major disruption in travel and economy. It has not been right. uh, a subject of uh, a reason for the drastic measures as we are, the countries taking, are taking now for this specific uh, uh, pandemic because uh, this pandemic spreads faster and it has, uh, uh, it, it exerts higher pressure on the health systems. So that's why this, uh, this differs from the swine flu pandemic, flu pandemic. So, so I think that we eventually will reemerge. But also, again, I'm, I don't, I am not tired to find some positive things, even in that grim perspective, which is basically, if because we had been uh, swift, we we have a chance to have less losses, both in terms of the human capital and in terms of the economy than other countries in the region. Uh, then we might be better positioned for the recovery of the economy, better positioned to uh, receive tourists, uh, you know, because the country yes. has been a success story, and investors, so, and use this advantage uh, in favor of Georgia. So, again, in everything I'm trying to find some positive as well, but definitely it's not a, it's not a positive situation, of course. Thank you so much, Akaki. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, and I wish everybody a success. And and health in these difficult times. This will pass, but we humankind will uh, triumph over this pandemic as it triumphed over many other challenges it had. Thanks to Dr. Akaki Zoita for speaking to us from Georgia. Stay tuned for more episodes in your feed on other democracy first responders. Next time we'll hear from Dr. Daly Cora, a doctor who defected from Cuba after being forced to serve in the country's international medical missions. Dr. Cora currently lives in Madrid, but before defecting, she served as the head of Cuba's Medical Commission of Hygiene and Epidemiology in Guarico, Rico, Venezuela from 2011 to 2014. For that interview and more, follow us at IRI Global on Twitter and subscribe to Global in your podcast app. Until next time, I'm Bakhtin Ishanov. Thank you for listening to Global. <laughs>